Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, where it's my job to introduce you to people from the world of commercial property. We're talking with investors and thought leaders about their experiences of the commercial property world and sharing our own lessons from the last 20 years to give you practical know-how so that you can follow in their footsteps. If you've ever thought commercial could be your next step, but it just seems too confusing and opaque, then you've come to the right place. There are so many exciting opportunities in this dynamic sector, and I'm looking forward to pulling back the curtain and sharing them with you. Welcome to the Commercial Property Investor Podcast, the show dedicated to the private investor, and I'm your host, Jerry Alexander. We want to show you how to cross the divide from residential investing over to commercial property investing. Through interviews, tips and lessons learned, we share experiences of investing and give you the inspiration, knowledge and confidence to enjoy this great cash flowing strategy. So let's get started. Hello, hello. Welcome back to the CPI podcast. For those of you who've been waiting or even a bit annoyed at having to wait, you don't have to wait any longer. We have the second instalment from our recent interview with self-storage king Dean Booty. If you haven't heard part one, then hit pause and go back to episode 177. Once you've taken that medicine, then pop back here for part two. In this section, we really focus in on the business of self-storage, the ins and outs of structuring and running a self-storage business, or any business for that matter. So without any further delay, let's get straight back to it. Okay, so Dean, (laughs) let's talk all about numbers, right? (laughs) Okay, let's do it. Um, I love listening to your podcast. You're so detailed. You give updates every week on different sites and locations every month. It's fantastic. And and from listening to your podcast over the years, you've been working with Dan Bradbury. And Dan, I think, embarrassed you into really getting to know your numbers. Um, Certainly, that's the way that it came across. And that you went to his mastermind and felt a bit naked, shall we say. Oh, 100%. Yeah. So I, I, read his, I read his book called Breeding Gazelles. I mean, it's going to sound like I'm a bit of a fanboy here. <laughs> but uh, I was like, cause I, I love my business books. I, I read quite a lot. And most people I read about um, are either from Australia or America. And I always feel like that I, I don't really have a mentor in England. You know, I'm a mastermind in, in America, et cetera. Um, and so I read this book and I thought, who is this author? Where is he from? And I, and I saw, saw he's from Leamington Spa. I thought, oh, that's not that's, that's in the UK, right? Great. He was doing a, a meet and greet kind of thing a day where you you went to his event and uh, he, he talked about your business health in terms of your balance sheet, cash flow forecast, and your basically your accounts. And I was like, okay, all right. Um, I don't really like that bit of it because back then. I just I just saw my role as I bring in the money, the the, the accountant do does everything else, and I don't need to know. And so it was a two day event. The second day was talking about marketing. I love marketing anyway, and so I can hold my own in a room with most business owners about marketing. So I was looking forward to the second day. The first day not so much. So we all sat down, going through it all, and it was it was going through um, balance sheets. He was going through it, and he was at the accounts, and he was asking questions, and I was like, please don't pick me, please don't pick me, please, Dean, what's Sorry, Dan, I don't know. I don't know. And he basically scolded me and said, if you want a better business, you need to be a better business owner. And I was like, okay, I like that. Yeah, that resonates with me. Because when you're a business owner, people don't really question you. People just 
you know you, you've got nobody to answer to and this is why yeah. i like i like this because um i like being questioned sometimes from my mentors because then it it shows where your shortcomings are and so yeah he he basically embarrassed me in front of everybody <laughs> it, it wasn't as bad as that but he, he ultimately he didn't get self-storage either because he, there was loads of debt and at, the, at that time we was only doing maybe a hundred thousand pound of a profit and i probably had half a million pound of debt so that ratio is crazy but it was because it wasn't mature i, I then joined his mastermind and again you've got to come with you've, you've got to have monthly accounts um i spoke to my accountant and uh he said monthly accounts Dean, you're not you're not a big business owner. You can't have monthly accounts. So I'm I'm like, well, he told he told me I've got to have monthly accounts. And so me and him do cash flow forecast, monthly accounts, this accountant. I take it to the meeting and he rips them apart. And my accountant, bless him, he's not used to this at all. And we eventually part company because he's 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 used to doing independent electricians, plumbers, etc. Not not proper businesses, if you're not, I'm not saying that they're proper businesses, but you know, multiple six <laughs> figures and I don't want to offend anybody. And, and the, basically the way, the way we set up a company, the, the, the way I was paying tax, the way I was paying myself, everything was wrong. And that's why I believe it's massively, massively important to make sure that you, you pay for, for good advice. Just going on from that, we're now three years in. I'm now Dan's private, a private client. I pay him 40 grand a year to, to work one-on-one -on -one with him. And he actually called me a friend. And then in a message, I was like, I was like, oh my God, he called me a friend. Claire, Claire. Well, he cost you 40 grand. <laughs> <laughs> I have a friend. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, he's now... He now, he now loves the business. He wants to get in self-storage himself as well. And uh, he's put me in front of investors and he's opened up so many doors. And that experience, I, I do think that sometimes you need to put yourself out of your comfort zone. And I was so far out of my comfort zone. I went bright red. I didn't like talking to anyone because I felt it was nowhere near as, as good as anybody else. And fast forward three years, I've changed accountants and I have management accounts every single week. I had cash flow, cash flow forecasts. I have everything in the business where I know my numbers. So yeah, it's uh, it's been it's been a, a rough journey, but I've, I've, I've improved. And as you can probably tell, I'm still not professional in any way, shape or form. <laughs> Listen, afterwards, we'll talk about the friend thing. I, I could definitely do less than 40 grand. So, I mean, you love your numbers. You've got numbers on everything, right? But I'm going to challenge you here. If you could only have three numbers, if you could only get three numbers for your business, what three would they be? I think the balance sheet is really, really important. Like mm -hmm. I never, I never realized how I'm reading the book at the minute. I'm going to give it a shout out because it is really, really good. Um, and it's, it's about uh, business in distress and um, it's about what he looks for to turn, turn the businesses around. And I think uh, it's called corporate turnaround uh, by Jeff Sands. And it's, it's really good. And I heard it on, on a, yeah on a big podcast and this guy said that it's so underrated and it really is. And he's talking about your balance sheet, how good you know, your balance sheet has to be perfect. I think your balance sheet is almost like your foundation. Um, your foundation yes. accounts yeah. is, um, I was making business decisions based on my trillion accounts. So you've got a yearly accounts, but you don't have to have your accounts in for nine months. That's and so right. you're making decisions that uh, it can be 20, 21 months old because well, of the first time of, of the accounting period, which is absolutely madness for, for, for business owners, so um, so balance sheet, cash flow forecasts, and I oversight my my monthly accounts. But I suppose you've you've got to have revenue coming in your business. But Dan, Dan would say cash is king. His new books have all that. Uh, so cash flow is is massively important. Balance sheet and um, and what, what was your one I said? 
basically you're talking about your your balance sheet, cash flow, and your third one. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> I want to ask you, because what you didn't tell me there was you didn't say um, the number of sales inquiries, the churn rate, the number of customers or square footage we've let or anything like that. None of those metrics. You're talking more about specifically about accounting, which is interesting. Yeah, I think I think the older version of uh, the younger version for me would, would be talking about them. But the, the reason I'm focusing on that is because right now in my time of business i'm I'm focusing on growth and to have the growth i need to have the good foundations without the good foundations then i can't have the the debt i can't i can't no one will, no one will back me uh people will will lend money to me in terms of the other stuff what's most important to me that's really really easy for me I, i've got to have website visitors they are my oxygen because if i have website visitors then i know I, my website converts and for anyone listening to this I'm a massive, massive advocate for spending money on your website. Get a copywriter. Get get somebody to design it properly. Spend money on it. It's your shop front. This is sometimes the first interaction that somebody will have with your business. And so many people do not spend money on the, the look, the feel, the customer journey. How many times do you actually go through your website and pretend to be the customer? You, people are leaving so much money on the table. It's my pet hate when I go on somebody's website and I've got broken links. I click on something and it doesn't take me somewhere. What what should you have on your on your homepage above the fold? So above the fold, um, actually above. I've only just learned this as well. Above the fold, the terminology comes from when people used to fold a newspaper up, and so they used to fold it into quarters. Yeah. And uh, and above the fold was the first bit you saw there. So above the fold is where you, when you don't scroll down on the on the website. So it's the what you see immediately. What's on there? Have you got any social proof? Have you got a call to action? Do you have any testimonials? Do you look like a respectable business? You know, do you say what you do? And so many people don't have the basics. And so if you, if you give me website traffic, then I can convert it. Last week, we converted 8% of our website traffic, which is bonkers in the industry. I think Big Yellow converts from like 1.75%. Obviously, they're a bigger company, so they're going to have more people come, which then dilutes the, the quality of, of a visitor because it might be coming from a whole host of different reasons. Gavin Shields, who who operates Stora, he was saying to me that, that the best they've got is somebody converting at 3.5% of website visitors. So yeah, the, the biggest one for me is website visitors. If people can't find my website, then my business is, is ultimately invisible. We're pretty dialed in with our sales process, our follow-up, how we do things. We change it all the time to try and optimize it. But yeah, website, to answer your question, website visitors is number, number one. Yeah, okay. So we, so the first part there really was based around the business numbers. But then actually, if you had a fourth one, it would be what's the amount of people coming to my website? And previously, um, up to Christmas or whatever, you were running pricing on your website. So that has now changed quite considerably, hasn't it? Sorry, rephrase that, Jerry. You've now taken pricing back off your website. And those that difference will make a huge um, change in your number that you were just talking about. Because on one element, you may have people, a good number of people come to your website, but they're making a choice before they ever have a discussion with you. Yes. And the other one, they're having a discussion with you. What was the difference in the number from when you had pricing on there, the volume of people coming on in conversions versus where you are now with no pricing on there, volume of conversions? Yeah, so this this has come from uh, Gavin Shields from Stora. He's got his Stora is an automated software. It basically, does all your payments for you, uh, even builds your website, etc. It's trying to make it manless for people. And I get the concept. I love the concept. It's a really good piece of kit for people who's just coming into self storage. And he maintains that you should show your price on the website. And his his reasoning is because 
it's easier for the customer. What would you want? And that's true, 100%. I, I get that. But the problem is, I think, with the self-storage industry is that not everybody knows what to expect from a self-storage facility. And not all self-storage facilities are built equally. So he's, he, the argument is, well, when you book a hotel, you see the price online. But yeah, but you're guided by the star system. You know one star is a terrible and a, a, you know a budget hotel <laughs> and you know five star is going to be a good experience and it's it's priced accordingly with self-storage there is no star system so how does the customers know who probably don't even i think it's last time we the the report came out is 52 percent of people know what self-storage is 48 percent of people don't so 50 50 so some people don't even know what self-storage is so how can they make an, an opinion just on price alone and People are showing on the website as well. People are showing pictures of, of their website, of, of their facility that's not really their facility as well. It's somebody else's facility because it looks better. And so my argument is that I, I want to educate the and help the customers because if they don't know what a self-storage is, then they sure as hell don't know how much stuff fits in a 160-square-foot unit or an 80-square-foot unit or what, what unit size they should have. We're here to help and assist. And yes, ideally... The customer wants to be straight in, straight out with a price. However, to, to help the customer, to better inform the customer, and to because some people, we, we've we actually said, uh, the, the container site I was talking about in the previous episode, um, that and they aren't waterproof containers at all. Um, so if you're storing scaffolding, for example, or something like that, then I would 100% recommend the other people because you don't need what we offer. We're, we're a different storage solution. And so I want to educate the customers and see if we can build up rapport because people buy from people they know, like, and trust. And so we've seen an increase of, it's only 1%, but 1% compounded over many multiple sites and years and months, it makes a massive, massive difference. And Gavin's argument, because I keep mentioning Gavin, because we're having a debate on stage at the conference uh, as well, the Cell Stories <laughs> conference the night before. So we're doing a live podcast and we're going to have a debate about this. Gavin <laughs> says it's not like for like, it's not A versus B, it's not a split test because he's saying, well, yeah, but Dean, the conversions are obviously going to be better this time of year because it's, people are moving home more people need storage more it's, it's it's a more it's a summer period which is high season then it was low season but my argument is yeah but that shouldn't affect conversions as such and so it's, it's a great debate it's ongoing there is massive advantages for showing price on your website because you don't need you don't need staff so you don't need as many staff uh, staff members because obviously it's it's all done online but i do think there is a downside as well and it, it sounds old-fashioned but i i, I like to speak to the customers. I want to get to know the customers as well to make sure that we're a right fit for them, they're a right fit for us kind of thing as well. And we have um, a much better conversion rate when we speak to the customers and help educate them. So I, I at the minute, I think that showing prices on the website um, is, isn't as, as good as hiding, not hiding your prices, but putting you, it behind the information wall. So do you have that number, Dean, on the conversion when you had prices on as a number of visitors to the website number of conversions when you had pricing and the number of conversions based on the number of people coming to site or to the sites or the website when you didn't have pricing do you have those two numbers no i don't i don't have the exact numbers because of the of the time period we did it um but what i can tell you is that there's there is two different numbers as well to make it even more confusing um <laughs> which just last week we've been digging into uh, which isn't as clear cut 
as 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 it is on one of the numbers. So there's there's two conversions. There's quotes to the, the actual quotes you get to actual reservations. So the people who have reserved a unit and saying we're going to move in, and there's a different number quotes to actual move-ins because not everybody who reserves yeah. moves in. And, yeah. and so there's there's two different numbers, and the reason why it distorts it a little bit is because if you're if, you don't have to do a quote to get a price. So if we're showing prices online, all you have to do is go on the website and you have to then physically get in contact with us. The two biggest obstacles in self-storage and renting a unit out is location. Is are, are you close to the person? Are you close to that customer and price? And so they already know your location because they're on your website. They've got a price for that location. So the the Nova locations, so that's okay. And they know your, your price. So once that customer then phones you, you should have around about an 80% conversion rate because the two biggest obstacles are price and location. They're no problem anymore. Yeah. So you will have a massive, you will have a bigger conversion rate because of that. So when you're comparing quotes from showing prices to not showing prices, the, the conversion rates are much higher when you show prices online. And so that's the problem. And so we've worked it back from website visitors. But then the problem is it depends on how much you're spending on pay-per-clicks as well. And what we did to muddy the waters somewhat again is that we changed who we was using for pay-per-clicks during all this as well. <laughs> so so Gavin's, Gavin's argument is, well, the new person is much better. And so therefore that distorts the figures again. And so... The, the only way we can really accurately do it is do a real A versus B test where we show 50% of website visitors in one month the prices and we show 50% of people not we, we hide the information behind the firewall and then we can get an accurate accurate view of it but so yeah we don't have the exact numbers because there's too many criteria involved but from our just stumbling around the back of a napkin we, we believe it's just just more than one percent difference. One percent, right? Great. I'm glad I asked the question. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> you've got to edit that. <laughs> like, just, just cut half of that out. <laughs> it, do you know what though? It's really interesting because when you talk, when you start talking about numbers in business, I was reading um, Traction again, yeah. right, and talking about well, actually, how many numbers do you need? And actually, you maybe only need up to six or seven numbers. I'm like. Okay, right, all right, because you could actually get completely and utterly brain dead with gathering loads and loads of information. But actually, the bottom line is how many conversions are you getting? What's your rental or what's your income per month? Is it increasing? And what's your over? What's outgoing? You know, and is the difference between the two growing or is it shrinking? You know, and I appreciate there's lots of other things around about that, but those are the fundamentals, aren't they, to grow yeah. a business? Yeah, and you were talking about going going to Dan's event and and the th three years going through that process of changing from running some basic numbers, not really quite understanding how they work, through to really understanding how your numbers work, and then changing your structured approach to it. So now you become more of a business runner or business owner than you are running a self storage facility, as an example, and so. Has your business structure now changed as part of that process? And have you built your structure more for future growth as well? You know, container site, self-storage, there's not many moving parts into the business. And so one of the big things for me is that to grow the business, I realized that I couldn't be in the business all the time. And so many of my friends who are business owners, they're swamped, swamped down by um, by actually one particular friend. He's working nonstop, nine till, um, you know, 10 o'clock at night and never sees his family or anything like that. And I feel really sorry for him. And 
Um, but he, he wants to do everything. He, but you can't, as a business owner, you've got to realize that you can't do everything. And if if uh, if any of any of my team listen to this, they'll, they'll totally disagree. But I think I'm a better salesman than than them. <laughs> but they think they're a better salesman than me. And so if they're if I'm doing all the selling, then I can't be doing everything else. I've got to realize and relinquish some control and think, okay, I can't speak to every customer. I don't want, to, if I want to grow the business, I can't speak to customers. And so I haven't even got a login now to, to my software. I had to take the jump and say, right, I don't want to log into the software. I don't want to even know how to use it. Any updates, I don't want to be trained on. I don't want to be a solution to any problem. If anybody's off ill, I can't, I can't man the site because I don't even have a code to get into the building let alone anything else and so i'm completely hands-off i've i've made sure that we've got systems for everything and we've got we've also got to automate stuff and so my reports as well i've made sure that we we use a company called space manager and i like certain reports and if we do something more than once i believe we've got to automate it so we got them to build our reports so they're automated our price increases are automated everything's as easy as possible for the team and once we do something we've got to write a procedure about it we've, we've got to make sure i think we use trainial and so every if anything heaven forbid happens to angela james or anything somebody in theory could come into the business open up that a trainial manual and they can know exactly what to do, what the logins are, how to, you know, what we do first into the business, you know, 10, even stupid things like 10 lights on, you know, what which switches and, and whatever. So we've documented everything. That took over a year to, to do that, but it was so crucial to do for us to grow as, as a company. So that's that's number one. I, I need to take, I needed to take myself out of the business so I can focus on the external parts of the business, the numbers, making sure everything's going in the right directions, making sure that we're looking at growth. Also funding as well, making sure that the people who we, we've got a lot of private debt, making sure we've got a relationship with them, making sure if they want updates or if they need to feel like during COVID, we I, I used to email the people um, who we borrowed money off every single month and just say, look, this is what we're doing. This is how we're doing. This is so, so you know, we're, we're okay. You, you don't need to worry kind of thing. Also landlords as well, be in touch with, with my, my landlords. I want them to know that we're, we're a good tenant. Also, if there's another opportunity to come in that comes up, how am I going to find extra sites? How am I going to know what, what site is a good site? And I'm a, I'm a big believer in learning as well. And so I often walk, I probably listen to four or five hours every single day of podcasts, of sales, of marketing, of anything to do with business, because I want to get better. And if I get better, then I can improve my team. And if my team gets better, everything improves uh, from from start to finish. So it all starts with me. And then, but I don't want to be inside the business, running the business. So I hope that answers your question. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's well, basically, yes. What we're doing is changing from being um, an operator and somebody who's in the the weeds, as you would say, through to someone who's now actually having to run a business. And it's almost as though the language is then the same, whatever business you go into, you know, that the language that you're discussing and the type of people and the, the, the skill sets that are required are the same for running different businesses. It's interesting you mentioned there about training. I haven't heard about that. We'll have a look into that because we've also been documenting over the years our processes too, but trying to get it all to work in one place. That sounds like an interesting shout to have a look at that. Yeah, I think the charge is like £39 or something like that a month. So it's yeah. it's actually quite costly for a, for a software. 
I don't want one member of staff being being the only person to 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 do a task because if anything happens to that one member of staff, then then we're in trouble. Our manager went went away for for five weeks to South Africa, and uh, while she was gone, yeah, of course we missed her, but everything was still done in the business, and it was it was it was such a relief because uh, until somebody actually leaves, until your systems are tested, we never we never knew yeah, what sure. we don't know, and so. <laughs> Sorry, sorry, Dean. Gone. I was also going to say that it's 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 sometimes good to take yourself out of the business as well. If you go for a week's holiday, you know, do do does anybody need you? If if so, why do they need you? What do they need you for? Document that. Any questions you get asked, then you can document them questions and make sure that okay, right. Then when this happens again, when I'm away, I don't need to be contacted. And so it's it's you, you learn you learn a lot from being outside the business as well. That's interesting. Okay, so just I asked you just a bit about business structure. So, what is your what's your management team look like now? What are the key components or key elements that you have in place? Yeah, so we've we've got an overall manager. Uh, she's called Angela. Um, she looks after the the whole business, um, and then we've got uh, a manager in place for Willoughby, and then we're just we're just employing somebody else as well, another manager. I'm a big believer in paying people more than than what. The, the worth because um, I, I think that if you look after your staff, they'll look after you. And so we, we pay above market rates to make sure we get a better better than average people. And so we sell storage. We don't need a lot of staff. So we've got Angela who's managing overall. We've got we've got James who's the the manager for for Willoughby. And then we've got we've got somebody else who's coming in to to manage the new site at Mansfield and the, the Wrexham site but when when you're bringing people in and we've also got a, a girl called Vanessa who's like the sales person and then we've got my wife who works two two days a week that's 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 our team but what you've got to be careful of as well when you're growing is that you don't want to push people's noses out of joint as well so with, with James he's been fantastic I respect him we really get on he's, he's a great guy and um, with this new site this is quite a big responsibility because you're on your own in Mansfield it's almost your baby where he's, he's working with Angela all the time so it's almost like he's got Angela overseeing him all the time and so I didn't want to employ somebody and outrank him straight away because I'm a big believer in employing from within and giving people opportunities so I actually spoke to him and said listen I know you're in Hull but do you, do you want to travel across to Mansfield it'd be more money etc and he I, I knew it was wrong for him because it'd mean three hours traveling a day or maybe two and a half um, and it'd take him away from his family but I still had to had to offer him that and he, he so i think he appreciated it and he turned it down um which but at least he offered him it in terms of business structure we're slowly growing into a bigger company with you know we've got over a million pound turnover five hundred thousand pound epic there and it's 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 gonna hopefully grow every single year um and what i didn't realize before obviously i got all these mentors etc business coaches and stuff is that if anything heaven forbid happens to willoughby that's my big site that's i think the the rent there is 176000 pound a year you know so it's it's a lot of it's a lot of money um if we have a fire that that keeps me up at night because if we have a fire there we've got interruption insurance but it's not going to cover us fully because we just can't get insurance and it costs a heck of a lot of money if anything happens to that that business will if anything happens to that facility will it be it drags down the rest of the company and when that put when somebody put that to me i was like yeah yeah i mean i'm in trouble um and so what we're doing is we're having a holding company um and then every every business every, every facility 
is its own business. So we're gonna we've got Stormall Wrexham, we've got Beverly Twenty Four is a separate company. Then we're gonna have um, Stormall Willoughby is a separate company. Then Stormall Mansfield is gonna be a separate company. Every single one of them is a separate company. And I can't remember our holding company. It's, I think it's my kids' initials or something, you know. But then every, every then we got a holding company above that. And the way I, I got it put to me was that if anything, heaven forbid, happens to one facility, think of it like a balloon. You can simply cut that balloon off and let it go, and it doesn't affect the rest of your businesses right now. Every business is a lead weight. Every facility is a lead weight. Heaven forbid anything happens to any one of them for whatever reason, natural disaster, plummet, you know, fire, uh, things like that do happen, then it, it would put a massive strain on the on the whole company. And as, as bad as it sounds, um, you've got to be able to cut cut out the cancer, if you like, if, if anything happens to any business, it's almost like protecting ourselves from, from from any disasters in the future because something will happen. Big big yellow has fires. I mean, what is it, like one or two a year in, in self-storage we have fires? And so things like that do happen. So you just got to protect the downside. It's, it is difficult because when you're starting out, having building up a critical mass and building up momentum under one company means suppliers – Financers, everybody else takes you a bit more seriously, but as you get to that stage, and you, you mentioned there, turnover a million quid. You, when you get to that stage where there's more to lose, there's more moving parts. Actually, that's when it starts to make more sense to look at right. Well, actually, if I pull this apart a little bit, as in terms of the structure, it still sh it shouldn't affect my supplier relationships and everybody else because they now understand I've now got the track record and I'm now proving it. And there was also uh, there was. A benefit to having them all separately rather than under a group structure tax wise but that's now gone so the the, the group structure is looking more and more attractive for, for business owners and what, what what is your you know look looking forward dean for uh, towards growth if we were to jump maybe three years ahead i don't know what business planning you're working on but let's just say three years ahead what, what are the sort of what's the growth aspirations that you have yeah, so right now I'm I'm actually focusing on container sites. Um, mm. The person we're employing specialises in container sites as well, so that that's handy. And I I I actually document my journey in a newsletter. Um, it's called Mister Self Storage. If anybody wants to uh, log onto it, and basically what I do is I'm I'm aiming to sell out in within twenty years for hundred million. And so to do that, I need to expand pretty quickly and so what i do there is i i give you my i give you all my figures i give you a self storage tip every day every day and i give you the same reports that i get every day and i just put it in a newsletter and send it off to everybody we've talked about internally what we're going to do by the end of next year so the end of 2024 uh the minimum is to have 10 sites so we, we need 10 sites um and then i would i would hope to to be growing maybe three sites three sites a year after that so maybe 13 to 15 sites in in three years uh that would be the optimum and with container sites the reason why i can aggressively grow with container sites is exactly what we spoke about before is that i don't need a million pound shop fit i can grow as fast as the as the economic demands yeah. yeah exactly yeah and so i think that's really really exciting there's, there's loads of car lots coming up now i don't know if you've noticed um car lots um where, where there was selling cars previously there's the independents are finding it really hard. And also the bigger boys are actually uh, having the mega sites. They're called mega sites because I, I looked into the reason why. The, the restructuring, instead of having maybe five or six different smaller sites, they're having one big mega site in a big yeah. location. And so that's becoming, there's, there's opportunities there, which is great because they're all in high traffic 
high demand areas, which is fantastic. So there's opportunities there. And so I think as long as you spend the time looking, then you can you can find it. Another mistake I made, by the way, that I, I haven't actually spoke to you about before is trademark. I never trademark Stormore. There's a company, a fast company. I think they've got 40 sites in Spain and Germany, and they're called Stormore. And all of a sudden, they sent somebody across to have a word with me and said, can we have a meeting, please? We want to have a look at your new site, Clough Road. Yeah, of course you can. Let's go have a look at Clough Road. And I thought it was a bit bit weird, but I thought, oh, yeah, I'm just, you know, great to talk to them. Um, sat me down in Starbucks and they said, you've got three options. You have a season desist and, and you change your name or you never, ever open a new site again or we buy you. And I was like... Well, I don't like these options. <laughs> um, All I wanted was a cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah but basically, they, they trademarked the name before me. I got the best barrister, and uh, and we looked into it. And luckily for me, there's something, there's a precedent being set for people, stupid people like me who don't, uh, who don't trademark. And as long as you can prove that you was trading before the other person, before they trademarked it, then... Uh, but there's a legal precedent being set where you're protected. So you know, for, for dumb people like myself, you're, you're, you're protected. But that, that lesson cost me 10 grand because it cost me 10 grand in legal fees because this, this was a company that didn't expect, I've, I've since found out, but normally what happens, people just roll over and they don't, that a, a, a visit is enough and because they're a big company, they just expect you to just give up. And uh, luckily, we, we spent 10 grand on bloody legal fees with, with not trademarking. So now I've trademarked Beverly 24 and Stormore. So, well, Stormore is going through, but it's uh, it's nearly finished. So yeah, another mistake. All right. Living then. Yeah, indeed. So I just want to ask you about one other period of your life, which was you had a previous business, which I think was a restaurant. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, yeah. Which you did lose, is that right? Uh, no, I actually sold it. Did you sell that? I, did... I, I lost a lot of money. <laughs> I lost a lot of money. Okay, okay. <laughs> so what did that teach you that you're now using now? Oh, man. Um, I, I, do you know what? It, it was, I, I spoke openly about this. It was my worst ever period of life. I felt like a massive failure uh, because obviously I've, it was it was only seven or eight years ago and I, I wanted to expand. Um, I was impatient. That That's the number one lesson is I was impatient um, because I, I wanted everything now and I couldn't find a second self story to open. And I, thought, I don't know, coffee shop's got a good markup. Brilliant. Let's let's open a coffee shop. Let's have an espresso coffee there. And then it turned into a restaurant. And then it turned into me losing £200,000. But the worst, worst than that, I lost my dad hundred grand as well. And uh, and that's with, we we sold it for 135000 And the, the worst thing is it's still open now and it's doing real well. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it wasn't it wasn't the location. It was me. It was it was 100% me. Um, and I, I've got I've got to be careful. So number one, it is impatient. I can't be impatient. But also, I wanted to buy the best meat. So there's a there's a restaurant called Westwood in Beverly, fully booked up all the time, Michelin star. I I wanted to buy the same same ingredients that they bought. I had the, the chef that was working at the West or or was about to work at the Westwood. I stopped him from working at the Westwood and sold him this great idea, of my vision, and uh, and paid him a massive amount of money. And thinking, oh, we're going to be the next Westwood. It just never ever materialized. I spent too much money. I only focused on what the upside could be, and never really focused on what the downside could be. And so my shot fit for for the restaurant was four hundred thousand pound. Four hundred thousand pound for a restaurant. Wow. Why? Because I wanted the best of everything. So I've got to remember that, okay, the upside is here, Dean. What's the return on investment I'm going to get from that 400 grand? 
it was never ever going to make. I, I've spoken to the guy who, who bought it off me now. It's it's doing okay. It's it's giving him a wage, but no more than that. Twenty to thirty thousand pound a year profit. Um, but with with that money, what, what was I ever going to gain? What was what was the return on that investment? And so I I didn't know my numbers. Um, and I was I was certainly impatient because I wanted everything now. I wanted I wanted to earn money now. And honestly, it got that bad that I, I genuinely one day thought of driving off a cliff. I thought, do you know what? My wife would be better without me. My kids would be better without me. And it was just a really bad 18 months. However, it massively changed me as a person because then now I have personal development, making sure that uh, I understand businesses more, that I take responsibility because I was blaming everybody else. I was blaming, ah, oh, the... The, the shop fit was too expensive, so therefore the repayments are too much. But it's not it's not nobody else's fault. It's my fault. I opened it. And so I take responsibility now for everything that happens, the good, the bad, the indifferent. And it was a massive, massive learning curve. And yeah, I talk about it loads on my podcast because it was it's probably the, the most important 18 months of my life. Now the other side, the winning side, was the betting shop. Yeah, yeah, and and you landed on your feet all the way through that process. <laughs> so, what did what did that teach you? Um, to and be the, fair, and, and, and this is and, and sorry, Dean, just to give a bit more context. So, the betting shop that you that you opened and, and eventually sold, it's it's looking at it from the perspective of how does that help you now? What you know, what have you taken from that to use now? Yeah, um, to to be fair, if if I'm really really honest, I feel like the I got lucky with betting shop because betting was the only well, at school. I used to twag races and go and work on course for a bookie. I, I was a massive better. I love gambling. I love betting. And I did really well. I got, I got banned out of all betting shops and my accounts closed. Um, and so I understood punters. I knew what punters want wanted. So if I couldn't make that work, then I'd never make anything work. Uh, the only thing that I think I did, I did correct in that was saw the end of betting shops. I saw that people were moving onto digital platforms sooner than everybody else. As Gary Vee says, he said, you've got to spend time trying to put yourself out of business. So what, what could put you out of business? And technology, technology put all betting shops out of business. Still some going now, but they don't make any money. I, I still know people in that industry. And so I got, I feel as though I got lucky there because I didn't really understand business, but I understood betting. And then it gave me a false sense of security. Uh, I opened a container site. And as I've already mentioned before, you could be an F-star, an F-grade operator and get A-star results. And I was I was getting good results, and I was definitely an F, F grade operator. So them two, the container site, and and the betting shop, give me a misguided confidence level of of, of what I was. And so that's why I opened a restaurant. What I use now, uh, risk. Risk is what I use now because every single day of a betting shop, believe it or not, someday you lost money. Someday we, we lost twenty grand one day, and twenty grand was a massive, massive amount of money for me back then. That was a full year's wages for, for me in the betting shop. We sold it for £344,000 to Corals or three four five. But um, during the process, 20 grand, a year's wages, we lost it with one bet. And I feel like that I'm quite comfortable with risk. And so many of my friends and when I go to masterminds, they are comfortable with risk. But that's that's a good side, but it can also be a negative side as well. So, yeah, risk, risk is a big takeaway, I reckon, from that. Great. Okay. So, Dean, anyone who's listening to this who is either just starting out on the container storage business or indeed – in fact, you know what? I'm going to ask you two questions. So, first one, those that are just starting out, 
they're thinking about the container storage business, which we spoke about a lot in the previous episode and we've touched on a little bit here. What are the key things that you would say to those guys or girls that are starting out that they need to think about in terms of running it as a business? You know, ra rather than just looking at, oh, that looks like a great industry. I've heard Dean on his podcast. This sounds like an awesome industry. All I've got to do is just get up and fall into it and I'll be, I'm going to make millions. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What, what are some of the key things they really need to be thinking about here? Yeah, so so my my I was again I was talking to the bank manager today about this, and my my biggest problem when I entered the self storage facility industry was that I didn't understand how much capital I would need to burn through my burn rate. Um, it, so what I mean by that is my it's okay the capital expenses, but what what is the the debt? How much am I paying out every single month on my debt? What what is my cash flow position? And I didn't I just thought oh yeah do you know what I need. I think it was about a million pounds to start. Um, overall, it was, it was a million pounds to do the whole shot fit, but we did that over a number of years. So you, you, the, the biggest mistake people can make is uh, they say, I only need 300 grand uh, for, for the shot fit. But then what about the running costs? What about what about the, the, um, the two years that you're going to be in negative cash flow? Where's that money coming from? And so um, I've just done a, a little, I, I put something together for, for you guys uh, that I nearly forgot about, actually. Um, so container prices at the minute, this is based on £2,795. And I, when I listened to your podcast, I think he quoted the Tom 2500 or something on your podcast. And I was like, holy he quoted me more. <laughs> well, I didn't, I didn't want to say, but I was the same. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, the the they must have come down. <laughs> and so I, I looked at the different options in the industry. So you can have asset finance. So we use proof finance and uh, it's approved-finance.co.uk. That's asset finance. So the, so the container price, so for example, the container monthly price would be £62 a month over five years. So the total price for the container, including interest, is £3,720. And so that, that's through asset finance. So I'm, I'm basically comparing how to get a container because I, I think that most people, when they start a business, don't have a lot of money. If you do, then obviously you can buy the containers outright. But if you, if you haven't got the money, then I just compared what the best deals are on the market. There's a there's a, somebody called Triple Eight Containers, and so you can rent the containers for seventy five pound a month for five years, and then you pay a hundred pound at the end of the five years to own the containers. The benefit here is no security, and so it's not as good deal, but you don't have to have any security. Where with asset finance, you have to have uh, with the asset finance, yet you've got to have a personal guarantee or something like that. Or you can go for a will box and you can rent the containers. This is for a 20 foot container, by the way, for £50, 70 pence per month. And the minimum rental term is six months. After that, you can purchase the containers if you choose to. They would be available at the purchase price of 2800 That might have changed now, as we know, minus 20%. Uh, of the rental revenue you spent during that period. So without doubt is asset finance. I've also got private money here, but I get private money. People might be different, but we get private money based on 5% above the base rate. So when I was doing this, it was 8.5% in total. So the container price on private money would be £58.92 over the five years. Um, and But obviously that, that rate can change because it's based on the 
on the base rate. So the base rate obviously fluctuates. So um, yes, it's cheaper as, as a private money. However, the base rate can change. Yeah. So my, my takeaway for people is that um, you can get into container storage relatively cheaply. You don't have to buy the containers outright. And I feel like that people think when they first get into containers that you have to buy the containers outright. So if you're buying 100 containers, then obviously it's hundreds of thousands of pounds. Yeah. But one, you can buy them as and when you need to. But you don't. There's other options. There's Like I said, there's three different options there. Asset finance, there's triple eight containers, or there's Willbox, and there's many, many more. And when I first started, I didn't realize that. Even four years ago, I was buying containers outright because I thought that was the only way to do things. And it was only when I asked Willbox, do you do, you do any rentals or do you do it? They said, yeah, yeah, we do. But I, I didn't understand that. So I feel like the big takeaway for people is that you can purchase containers over a period of time. You don't have to do it straight away. Okay, brilliant. Now, the second part of that question is, as we moved in, uh, moved on to in this particular episode about running a business for those that are looking at um, scaling up they maybe have some containers some garages some different bits and pieces they've had on the side if they actually want to scale up now what are the key things that you would suggest to them that um, you've learned over the last few years yeah you've got to get your back end of your business correct so you've you've got to get your finances correct you've got to get you've got to understand and i i when someone used to say this i used to hate it because i was like no no i don't, I don't want to do that you've got to be uncomfortable and you've got to get to understand your 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 financials your cash flow forecasts your your management accounts uh, so i think all that's a given but number one you've got to surround yourself by good people and i i, I really do think mentorship is a cheat I think I've, uh, if you're looking at commercial property like yourself, you get, get, in, get in touch with, with you. You've been there, done it. You've you've got the scars. You've you've done you've you've done the deals, and you can you don't have to learn through your time. You, you, it's it's a cheat to time. You're gaining back time from that individual. So consultants pay for a consultant. Pay for pay a, a part of a mastermind. Get out there and, and talk to people because you can. You can. I feel like you can learn from everybody. It doesn't matter what stage of a journey somebody is at self storage. I love talking to people at events because even if they've got one container site, they could know something that I don't know. So don't be so pig headed to think that you know everything because nobody does. You can always be open to learning more. And so if you want to scale your business, I, I think you can only scale your business when the financials are correct and you've got people around you that, that you trust. For example, solicitors. If your solicitor isn't spot on great then you're paying one way or another you have a, you have a paying um with with your time to 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 find a solution for a problem or you, you pay to get that extra bit of help from a solicitor that maybe costs a little bit more and so yeah surround yourself with people find mentors find find consultants and that, that that's my one big advice to my kids is find people who are just one step in front of you and whatever it takes, pay them, listen to them, learn from them, educate yourself, surround yourself with them, try to help them. Uh, work for even work for free for somebody. I, I I would without doubt work for Dan Bradbury for free to to learn as much as I as much as I can from that individual. And yeah, so surround yourself with the right people and pay for consultants. My expensive friend again. Right, so. <laughs> I told you I'm like a fanboy. <laughs> Dean, this has been it's awesome. It's, it's, it, it. <laughs> um, I, I I love your podcast. I love your attitude towards business. And you, it, it's interesting when listening to you how if if you start going slight, if you start feel like you're digging a little bit of a hole or insulting someone by saying that they've got a one star facility or whatever, <laughs> you know, always try being apologetic. <laughs> 
being very humble. Dean, it's been an absolute pleasure. If anyone wants to be able to get in touch with you, you mentioned earlier on about Mr. Self Storage. Um, that's .com, right? Yep, .com, yeah. I paid two and a half yep. grand for that. Yeah, so just give us uh, some details. Obviously, your podcast and also, um, well, we've just mentioned there, MrSelfStorage.com or anything else that you need people to know about where they can get you. Yeah, so I've got uh, two podcasts. I've got Hacking Self Storage, uh, which I normally do three episodes per week. And then I've got another one called Motivated Entrepreneurs, which um, is kind of my passion project. I don't do it for for money. I don't do it for um, – I, I just – during my – during COVID, um, I just thought that I was educating myself quite a lot with books, etc. I listened to podcasts and I thought, well, what happens? Heaven forbid, if anything happens to me and I can't, I can't educate my kids, I can't pass down some of the knowledge that I feel I've gained um, along the way. And so I started a podcast, a daily podcast. It's only like two or three minutes long every single day, but just giving something that I've, I feel like I've learned every day. And I feel like I'm quite a happy person, a positive person. And so I try to portray that on, on the podcast. And so I do that. Uh, so Hacking Self Storage, Motivated Entrepreneurs, and then MrSelfStorage.com is my newsletter that I do every single day. My journey to a nine-figure exit. And just in terms of business as well, just really, really quickly, everybody's putting on the face in life. And with business owners, I think people pretend or feel a need that they have to be prim, proper, and act accordingly because we're a business owner. And I'd, I'd, I'm, I'm, I'm not professional whatsoever, but I feel like I've got an all right standard of living because, because <laughs> of, of it. And I just feel like that we don't have to pretend something we're not and we can just like be ourselves. You don't have to wear a suit and uh, to, to be successful. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dean, for joining me. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you in, what, 12 months, 18 months? <laughs> we'll definitely do it every year. Yeah, you'll have to go on my podcast now. <laughs> All right, brilliant. Thanks, Dean. Speak to you again very soon. Hi there. I hope you're enjoying the content delivered on the CPI podcast. Even though it's free to listen to, it actually takes quite a bit of time and financial commitment to deliver each and every episode. Did you know that by leaving a positive written review, you, yes, you will have a direct impact on the visibility of the podcast. And that's really important because by reaching a wider audience, it helps our team to continually improve the overall content that we deliver to you week after week. For some of you, leaving a review will be second nature, but for others, it might be a first one. Open your podcast app, pick the CPI podcast and search for previous reviews. And on iTunes in particular, click to look at all of the reviews and then you'll see an option to leave a written review. Go on, it'll only take two minutes and it'll really make our day. And we genuinely read every single one of them.